Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today is the pro console of Three Moves Ahead, Troy Goodfellow. Troy, welcome to the show. I am thrilled to be here, continuing my tenure ruling this province in the north. We also welcome uh, my friend and colleague from PC Games and freelance writer Fraser Brown. Fraser, welcome to the show. Hey there, thanks for having me. Today we're going to be talking about Oh my god, I can never remember the name of this game. <laughs> Hegemony. No, Hegemony Rome. Bear with me. It's Hegemony Rome, The Rise of Caesar. Yeah. The, the problem is, this is, the, this is the problem with strategy titles, is you can always just sort of take their, their topic and a person's name and rise of, and you just sort of swap it around, and it could be anything. So that's lovely. Uh, it's Hegemony Rome, Rise of Caesar, uh, a sequel to Hegemony Philip of Macedon. Uh, an ancient warfare game that uh, Troy, Troy and I, I think it's fair to say we we both really loved it. It was it was a very cool take on uh, you know the the sort of the, the rise of the Macedonian uh, kingdom and the the end of the Hellenic era. Uh, so you know, ancient warfare is is a tricky subject to get right, and uh, I know because of our interest in Rome, Troy and I were very eager to check out uh, Hegemony Rome, and. In the wake of perhaps various Roman-related disappointments in the last year or so, uh, I was kind of dying for a cool take on uh, on Caesar's conquest of Gaul. So, Troy, I think we'll we'll start with you because uh, you know, like me, you're, you're a bit of a classical historian. Uh, what what do you make of this game? It's big. It's my first. Th- I started playing it uh, a couple of months ago, and really dug into it the last couple of weeks. I'm still baffled by just how big this game is. Uh, it is. I took a screenshot and I posted it on my Twitter of you know an hour into a new campaign and how much of the map I had explored, and it was this teeny, teeny, teeny little corner of uh, the Pyrenees, and it was like, oh my god, this is just. That screen, I think, just captured just how large and detailed uh, this map is. And in that tiny little square of exploration, there were six cities and a dozen farms and some mines and raiders and all kinds of people I had to kill and explore. And this is a game that, if you want to play it through either the entire Caesar campaign or the sandbox, uh, it will take you days, days and days and days to play and complete. So if you like your games long and detailed and full of juggling, uh, then this, I think, is a game you might want to check out. Um, I do have you know, some issues with it, some problems that are repeating from the other Gemini games <coughs> uh, pop up, but uh, I kind of like where it's going, and I like some of the historical lessons it tries to impart. I like many of the new details it adds. Um, but, you know, part of me wonders, as I played it, adding these details on top of this much deeper, larger, wider scale, if it's not just a bit too much for players to jump into and dive into, if it's not a little bit too overwhelming, giving complete credit to their once again excellent tutorial. They're excellent leading into the campaign, telling you what to do. All the missions get you going in a very nice, smooth way. If you follow the orders and do not deviate from the orders, if you deviate from the orders, all hell breaks out, breaks loose. Stupid freaking Sequani. Um, so stay on target. 
but I, I kind of like it, but I'm, I'm wondering if it's not too much of a mouthful. I mean, Gaul may be divided into three parts, but this is more than a three-course meal. That is so. That is such perfect framing, by the way. The, the, if only there were magazines still around for you to for you to like use <laughs> awesome little closers like that to wrap up your article. <laughs> like you say that immediately, I can see the I can see the review you just wrote. I can see you just sort there of like putting the dot at the end of that and walking away for a beer. <laughs> Maybe I should start a blog. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. To, to catch you up a little bit on the hegemony series, it, it is it is very big, and I think one of the reasons uh, for for its its feeling of expansiveness, in addition to the map just being frankly huge, is that it's a you know plausible real time strategy game. Uh, you, you know, it's almost a bit like a you know ruse or war game, and that. You you can zoom in very close for very close close uh, minute uh, you know attention to detail on the action, or you can pull all the way back and have this grand strategic view. The difference here is uh, it's almost dizzying when you when you zoom in and you're and you're covering like a little skirmish between two little armies in the field, and then you zoom out and then you zoom out some more, and that 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 skirmish that was so huge a moment ago is is basically just 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 a few pixels really on your strategic map, uh, which stretches all you know it, it covers all of France and it it kind of something I enjoy about this game and about this series as a whole is that it sort of reintroduces the idea of um, it 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 makes ancient warfare and conquest as daunting as it actually was i think it's something that you know i think we approach games like we take things like for instance you know we've invaded france for instance in like world war ii games lots of times and those have a tendency to compress distance right like things don't feel big anymore uh things don't feel that impressive uh oh well you know you just come through the low countries and conquer france i do that you know once a week at this point or that's how it feels like hegemony kind of brings back the sense of oh my god how am i going to take this handful of you know th- this handful of dudes and conquer this entire gigantic country uh when, when i can't be in all places at once yeah well, i want to get back to the handful of dudes things later because you really are cuz your best troops you're really kind of limited through the campaign and how available they are, which really puts some nice little restraints and constraints on what you can actually accomplish. Uh, so we'll get back to that in a bit. But I do want to talk to, to look at Fraser's perspective because we talked about Rome Total War uh, 2 on the show, and you gave it a nice thrashing. Uh, but you hadn't played any of the Hegemony games until this one, uh, when we sent you the code. So what were your impressions? Yeah, this was uh, my first time playing it. I really only had my copy of Caesar's Conquest of Gaul to really go by his guidance. Um, oddly, don't, they, don't, they, don't, don't they still teach the classics in the British public schools? Yeah, because um, uh, I, I went to a private school, so I actually did classical studies, and my degree is also in classical studies. So um, I always have... Uh, little books like that nearby. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's quite that was quite handy as a bit of guidance. Um, but what you said about size is is definitely true. It's, it's bloody massive. But I didn't find it that daunting. Um, I kind of felt that everything made sense. It's quite a logical game, um, which I guess makes sense given that it's all based on logistics and things like that. Um, but at no point did I feel that I'd bitten off more than I could chew. And I didn't spend very much time at all in the campaign because I actually found that really 
I'm not, I'm not sure if boring is fair, but I just didn't like being told what to do constantly. Um, you know, I'm like, I'm Caesar. Why should I be following orders? I'm just going to do what I want. <laughs> I'm the big man here. Uh, so I kind of, I just kind of threw that out and just went into the sandbox mode. I selected the biggest map, which is all of all of Gaul, um, and just went wild. And it was phenomenal. I started off in Cisalpine Gaul with one city and one unit and one general, and just slowly spread my tendrils out throughout Gaul. And it was it was a lot of fun. And and having every like what I said before about everything being logical, when you zoom out. And you see that giant map, and then you see all the little links between the cities and the camps and the the logging camps and the farms. It's all very neat and tidy, um, it, and it just does something for my brain. Uh, mm-hmm. I quite like it. It's logistics porn, really. <laughs> um, oh, man, and I love me some logistics porn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so filthy. Get those supply uh, lines stretching all the way from the south. All the way up into Belgium. Mm-hmm, well, what baby. was quite nice is that it's actually more like these little supply lines going short distances, but like connecting up to create yeah. this massive serpent-like supply line going from like northern northern Italy all the way up to Britain. Um, I'm not sure if that I've I've heard it was slightly different in the other hegemony games in that it wasn't so micromanaged or at least the, the the supply lines are larger rather rather than little ones connected together but I've, as i said i've not played the other ones this is my first experience i don't know i'd say i'd say it feels mostly pretty consistent i think maybe where okay. things get a little different with this is just um I don't try for for me. I think part of it is just this feels like this feels like a bigger map, and Greece itself and, and sort of the um, Aegean the the Aegean area, everything sort of it's a mountainous area, so it's all kind of hived off from each other anyway. The, you know, it's like a lot of valley to valley combat. So supply lines by necessity kind of become fairly simple and uh, straightforward in that game because really there's only so many choices you can make about how to get. Uh, supplies from one place to the next. Uh, whereas this, I definitely felt like uh, you you can sort of if you don't pay attention, like you can like like France can sort of swallow you up. Like you know if you, if you're not if you're not paying attention to where your supply lines are going and how efficiently they're being managed, uh, you can you can end up you know at the at the very ragged end of, of a very awkward supply line. I mean, I really love how they handle logistics, uh, the guys at uh, Longbow Games in these ancient titles. And you're right, France France can swallow you up. And one of the beauties of Gaul and the Gallic Wars is that anybody can be your enemy. And having an army, you know, marching towards Belgium and then your supply lines get cut off all of a sudden. You're relying on this long supply route stretching all the way back to Helvetica. Uh, for some reason, just everything going to Helvetica because of these guys are your allies. You're not going to send your allies, your supplies, your ally cities. You're going to send them on this long march home with the supplies, and then you realize your allies aren't your allies anymore, and that supply route's cut off. So your army is now foraging. Now it's you know pillaging farms, so anything it can to keep going. You're using those experience points, their units, to hire hunters and experienced hunters, so that they're consuming less and less food and they can forage better. Uh, this tension of always 
having to watch your back and never feeling like you have enough men to watch them. Um, this is... I love how the game sort of emphasizes, this is something that a theme we've been touching on quite a bit in the last few episodes, uh, the tension between, you know, ambition and speed. I mean, you, you want, you can't, you have to move quickly. You can't give your enemy time to consolidate all their Gallic allies together and come and smash you. So you have to move quickly. There's no time to consolidate your forces. There's no time to always build the perfect supply line because your army has to keep moving. Um, but if you move too quickly, then you will not have at all what you need. You can't build too many forces, especially legions, because when a legion gets killed in northern Gaul, it gets replaced by a new legion way the hell back in Cisalpine Gaul <laughs> and marching that guy back. So it's this entire tension of how do you use your supplies, how do you use your soldiers and, you know, haste, you know, that's what's the old Ciceronian maxim, you know, make haste slowly. You have to have the proper plans. You can get there, make the best use of your time. Um, and I think the way the supply lines are t- tangled up in this real neat mess of forests and mountain passes and camps and cities, do you, are these allies? Is this a city you want to burn down? Is this a city you want to keep? The tension is, you know, very strong all the way through. Uh, this is kind of like, this is an ins- it's an insurgency war, is what this is. Um, and it's just Caesar. He has a long way to go for help. The whole thing really can fall apart just at any moment. It always feels like that. I think there's a, a I think when you get to the point where you've got a fairly large force, you know, maybe you know, still quite early in the game, so maybe five units. Um, and so you've got enough to easily conquer, you know, for, like I started off in Cisalpine Gaul when I started the sandbox, um, and all the cities around there can be conquered with about three or four uh, units. Um, and But committing all of those units in one place means that one very meek enemy can just take out one of your mines and suddenly your whole infrastructure can be gone. Because at that point, you might not have very many mines. So your income is just gone. Uh, and all of your troops are committed on the other side of the map. And even Cisalpine Gaul, which is a very small part of the whole map, can take, what, 10 minutes to, to march across in real time? Uh, and, the, and the sandbox sets a bit of a trap, because you start out with this one city, and all the cities around you, they're your same culture. They are, yeah. So they're, they're in Cisalpine native. Gaul, they're so, all Roman, yeah. So once you take them, you don't have to garrison them. Nope. You don't have to, you know, take hostages and send them home and make sure they're on their best behavior. So you can actually, you know, you can march some soldiers around and there's not a whole lot of worrying about the inevitable revolt. It inspires a lot then, of recklessness. But then you start pushing into the the Germanic and Helvetic and Gallic cities and you have to think, okay, what do I, I've just captured a city, what do I do with it? How do I keep it happy? Do I have enough money to pay for a night watch and a watchtower to keep the city pacified? What kind of troops do I leave behind as garrison? How many? Are hostages going to work here? Do I just burn the thing down? Knowing it'll take it, you know, an hour to recover and be a threat again. So there's the sandbox is in many ways just like the campaign sets up some nice little practice for the 
the basic ideas of the game, you know, assembling armies, keeping them supplied, the tactical combat, which is also quite nice. But then once you push out of your little region, the real game begins, which is, okay, you've an, an empire if you can keep it. And that's kind of the fun of it. Yeah, and I, and I like that, you know, Fraser, when you were talking about how it can, it can all crumble in a second, I, I think something I really like about this series is it, it brings home an, an essential truth of, of, of uh, the classical and really a lot of ways the, the pre-modern world, which is that there really are no technological solutions to a lot of your core problems. Like, there's, there's no, nothing, you're not going to unlock something that's going to let you, you know, multiply your, for, your, your wealth. You know, there, there's not going to be a way to like really multiply your food. Anything you get, it's just it's simple addition. You get a little more, and that the, then that is immediately consumed uh, either by you know the, the few more troops you need to hold that little patch of territory, um, you know, or or just the needs of, of feeding feeding a newly conquered city. Uh, you know, there there's there there's never a moment where you're like, I have a really good cushion here. If you have a big cushion, it's probably because you leave something horrifically unguarded. <laughs> uh, but at any given moment, you're you're kind you're you're kind of teetering because you're always at the end of this of this long supply line. You have just enough troops uh, to to sort of hand to maybe to maybe protect uh, what you have right now and and go make new conquests. And almost certainly, there are a few places you know, in your empire where if someone were to raid it and cut it off at a stroke, you'd be starving to death somewhere. Uh, you, you would be, you'd be in an instant crisis. Uh, if it, you know, the mine example, uh, if, if, you know, your, your troops are, your, your troops have to be paid and fed. Um, and gold, everything requires gold upkeep. So really like in, including diplomacy, which is a cool touch, but I, but I like this idea of, of, of gold is kind of, there, there's not the sense of stored wealth. Everything is this ongoing sense of payment. Troops have to be paid. Allies have to be maintained with, uh, you know, some, some form of tribute. Uh, buildings have to be paid for their upkeep. And so just something as simple as losing one mine, uh, or, or you know, having a supply line cut immediately, your troops, you, your impressive, your impressive field army starts to you know get really sullen and low morale because they're not getting paid, uh, or or someone cuts you know takes out a critical fort that was sort of the crossroads of several different supply lines uh, that was that was feeding your army, and immediately your troops begin to starve and uh, they're going to be combat ineffective within you know in game terms within a few minutes. Uh, you've got to solve that problem. I love this sense of constant vulnerability in, in hegemony and part of that's due to the serious size of the world but i also like how it brings to life maybe some of the the real threat and danger that uh you know that, that a roman field commander might have felt you know if you, you know read if you read caesar for instance there there is there is sort of the sense there's the guy gets himself into a lot of tough scrapes and yes he's also self you know aggrandizing a bit in in his in his retelling of what happened up in gaul and sometimes he's covering up some of his own tra transgressions but there is nevertheless the sense that like you know it's it's this proud roman army but they are alone out there there is no one coming to get them they have to win these battles or they will be lost and what i love about the vulnerability is 
it's offensive as well. You can use this as a weapon against your enemies, you know, cutting off their farms, cutting off their supply lines, you know, and it's an impressive army. I was, I was playing the sandbox and trying to take a enemy Gallic city, and there were like a lot, there were a bunch, of, a bunch of soldiers who I could, they couldn't stand up to me in the field, but they would have, they could have held that fort for a very long time. The stronger, more troops within the garrison that had, you know, walls and it had parapets and it could sling me to death. But I cut off its supplies. So every time the garrison sorted, it had no morale, it had no food, and my legions could just completely beat them back and continue the siege. So this entire, but I kind of like seeing good siege warfare is what a siege is about, which is, you know, cutting off the city's resources, you know, weakening the population. And I think hegemony Rome really captures that. You know, I mean, the other hegemonies had some of this, but really not, I think, on the scale, on the detail, on the level that hegemony Rome has introduced, where, you know, I will, you know, send a cavalry unit just running around burning farms for the hell of it, knowing that it will weaken any army in my rear. So I march the legions up, and the cavalry can catch up later, but in the meantime, it's going to burn everything between uh, where I am and where I'm going, um, just to keep things, to keep my the people who don't like me all that much but are afraid to face me, keep them starving a bit. I mean, this is, it's kind of awful, but this is, it, as real level, this is really a game about, about, about Caesar's genocide of the Gallic people in very many ways. I mean, he bragged about the millions and millions of Gauls he killed, and probably with typical Roman enthusiasm. But, you know, he was kind of proud of how many uh, Romans, how many Gauls he killed. And here I am, kind of happy how many farms I burned down today. You can even go Christ one further kind of and just, you, you can capture them, execute about, you know, if there's like 10 or 20 workers there, you execute half of them when you're taking it over. And then you're sending all of that stuff back home. Um, and it's it's like an extra slap in the face. And sometimes, honestly, I was doing that even when the distance between this area and my closest like frontier city was quite far. So I was losing a lot of those resources in the supply line. But I was still doing it anyway, just to fuck with them. Um, it's like psychological warfare. <laughs> so here, here's my question, though. Did... Did you find the AI a bit passive, though? Like, uh, for me, like, yes, there's all these cool things you can do to, uh, you know, starve the enemy, to, to wipe them out. But I also have to, I have to admit, like, it, it, I, ha I faced a few crippling raiding parties in my time, but I rarely did feel like I was in a concerted campaign against an AI sort of trying to accomplish the same ends that I was. A lot of times it kind of felt like, you know, a bit of the old Total War feeling of like a step-by-step -step conquest. They're certainly not as expansive. Um, I mean, I you would you'd see the AI like probing, and and you know coming into your borders and uh, you know not just as raiders but as actual like enemy factions. Um, but it never felt like th they were. I mean, I guess they're not trying to build an empire. Um, you know, when you're playing as the Romans, you're the one trying to build the empire. And I suppose when you're playing as any of the the Gallic tribes. Uh, you're doing the same, but they're more there to kind of stop you from doing it rather than craft their own empire. Yeah, I wonder how much of that is the game is the AI not being able to play the game by its rules, or the AI not being expected to play by the rules of the sandbox campaigns, um, because it does have you know different purposes and different goals. But again, you know the 
the map is so big that when I did see an AI incursion, that doesn't mean the AI wasn't doing something else somewhere that I couldn't see. Um, so it's kind of hard to investigate. But yeah, there are there are raiders. I have seen you know a few small invasions here and there. But generally, they kind of wait to be poked. They're like a, a bear, and until you, they're kind of peaceful, I'll just start throwing rocks at it, and then it'll come down on you like the hammer of Thor, um, and try to do some damage. But I, I've seen like I was. Um, playing a new campaign today and I didn't I was playing the Romans down by the Pyrenees I didn't know that I apparently also owned a city near Massilia uh, near Marseille I didn't notice this for some reason I went to look at it and it was being you know besieged by two quite large armies one of which was uh, an enemy army and uh, a proper enemy AI army and one was just a bunch of raiders um and my reaction was, well, screw those guys. Um, you're too far away from me to do any good. You know, I'll, I'll send a letter back to, to Pompey, and he'll give a nice speech in the forum in memory of your lives, because you're just too far away from me to do any good. Um, so there's evidence, I think, of the AI doing some actions in places. But generally, it, I find it, 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 it doesn't push, but it will push back to an extent. Um, probably not with the empire-building fury, as Fraser said, but I'm not sure if that's the game it's designed to play. It may be designed to be just a bunch of speed bumps on your way to conquest, something to impede you, something to stop your empire, but not necessarily something to build a proper counter to it. Since, you know, building an empire on its own and maintaining it is really, you know, a good two-thirds of the challenge of this game. I've noticed that the AI often will acknowledge your aggression in certain ways. So, for instance, like if there's a, a city that's quite near uh, a bridge and you go in and you, you, you capture that bridge so your troops can eventually move across it, you might start seeing the enemy troops going up to the bridge to kind of not even necessarily take it back, but to defend that area because they're acknowledging your potential uh, yeah. uh, the kind of invasion. Um, and they won't cross it, they won't recapture it, but they're just waiting for you to come over. And of course, that's quite a vulnerable position. If you're sending your troops across the bridge and their enemy's waiting for you the other side, well, then you're probably going to get wiped out because uh, they've immediately, you know, uh, surrounded you. And you don't have all of your troops in one place either because you're just kind of slowly popping out of that bridge. It's, it's really strange to see that happen because they disappear when they go into the bridge. It's as if they've gone inside a building. Yeah, you can you can you can garrison bridges. Mm-hmm. You can garrison pretty much. You can garrison anything. You can garrison a mine, uh, if you like. So it's I'm not sure why you would. And it could be quite convenient because, as we were saying earlier, if you you know you can lose a mine and then your economy just you know blows up. So um, if if you've got a vulnerable mine, putting uh, a unit in there might be a good idea. But it's also it seems like a waste of a good unit that could be conquering cities. <laughs> And yeah, you better be building uh, building camps in any case, which yes. I really love yes. how they have the Roman camps as you know an important well weapon. Uh, you know, they're a place where you can park your troops and they use less supply, and they're fortified and they're great for holding passes in really good ways. They can continue supply lines, and 
you know, when someone takes one of my camps or takes one of my forts, I kind of get really pissed off because that's, that's a lot of work to build one of those. Uh, and I, I, the engineering uh, of the soldiers is you know, building bridges and tearing down bridges um, and, you know, building the forts. That part, that essential component of uh, late Republican Roman warfare is all here. Um, and it's quite handy. Yeah, I, I loved the the ability to sort of reshape the battlefield using things like forts and the the sort of logistical advantage they end up giving you. Like, uh, one of the big things in this game is that supply lines are leaky. You don't, like, this is not an efficient era of travel. Having one long road from city to city is going to lead to a ton of waste of money, a ton of waste of whatever materials traveling, traveling along it, and there's going to be less food at the, at the far end of that supply line. So it's actually really inefficient to just stretch supply lines from one population center to the next. You need, uh, you need these forts, these depots, to like basically act as like, you know, hub stations for, for your supplies uh, because they cut down on the, on the, on the leakage uh, in the supply line because they make it a shorter, less expensive uh, supply line. And it's it's a little more efficient. So, you know, you you end up looking for it. You you end up looking for opportunities to route a bunch of uh, supply lines through a key fort that you can protect, uh, and and then have that sort of you know operate as uh, sort of a new you know, a new uh, tree trunk almost for a, a new wave of conquest. You know, if you can get everything into that one forward depot, you know, and then you can sort of stretch out uh, again. Although I, it does seem like you're, you're actually even better off um, sort of marching a little bit divided, if possible, having discrete supply lines uh, rather than trying to ram everything through one location because that's uh, extremely vulnerable and your troops can, if you have a big army, they can they can cheerfully devour all the food coming through a supply line. Uh, they, they are hungry bastards. Uh, so you, you, you're you often better uh, following the, you know, fight concentrated, march divided maxim. But yeah, I do, I do love that, that, that idea of being able to control, to, to, to build the bridges, to, to build the fortresses, uh, being able to stretch, you know, that that infrastructure and closer and closer, uh, is is this huge advantage uh, and and a crucial a crucial weapon of war in this game. And, and there are not many games that that handle this so well. And uh, I think it is handled better here than it was in the in the previous game. Uh, you know, I, I don't remember were were, were forts a, a thing in the previous game, Troy. I don't feel like I remember no. doing this. There's a lot of new stuff yeah. in this game. Forts are new. Uh, having having generals to lead your armies—that's new. No, generals are not. Is it? They are. Oh, that was in the. It was in. That was in uh, the Greek one, right? Yeah, yeah. Totally had. You totally had generals there. Um, okay. What am I thinking? What else? Uh, a, a, a lot of the city improvements are yes. new. City management. Uh, uh, city management, where you can, you can build. Uh, different types of walls and different ways to increase your income or your food supply. Um, Hiring specialists, special units to go with your soldiers. They are an experience, and you spend that experience on things like, you know, medics or centurions or whatever you want this unit to be specialized for. I always, I was always starving. I always went with hunters because uh, you, you can have four of those, and there are just so many little improvements here and there that I think make it such a deep game. But I end up forgetting to do a lot of these things. Um, what I like about city management is here's. You know how it is in civilization where you have this 
all of a sudden you've got like 2,000 gold. So you just go on a spending spree and just buying crap. Or as oh I not I have like oh, five thousand gold I'll just buy a bunch of, I'll just buy a bunch of stuff great you can't do that here because you run out of wood pretty damn fast you know wood is one of the is how you build things you need wood and gold uh, to build improvements to your cities and you can use up a whole lot of wood just building a wall and then so you can't go on you can't just go nuts you know building stuff um, so you really have to choose you know what do I need now. And what are my priorities? And, you know, it is possible real time. You can stop and you can look at your situation, which is great. And so I kind of love how it takes this, you know, bog standard strategy game mechanic, you know, improve your city. And makes you actually think, do I really need to do this? I know it'll help. But where do I want to put the? I want to put this in a store. I want to put a a market in a safe city, so I have more gold to pay my soldiers. Or I need a stone wall right here, right now. And if I run out of money, is there a mine nearby I can steal, <laughs> so I can get that money back? So there's all these just the, the very simple mechanic we're all used to come seen through an entirely different lens, I think, uh, through the scarcity. I mean, this is going back to the very early days of this podcast, how we defined a strategy game as a game which requires you to deal with the management of, of, uh, of scarce resources and forward and thinking ahead and planning. Um, and this is really a game that makes the resources so scarce. And yet, and yet it's still a game about tactics and it's about war and it's about having your cavalry charge at the right point. All that stuff is there, and it's all very, very good, but it's tied into this amazingly deep and excellent resource management game. Yeah, and I just wanted to add a quick thing about manpower, too, because that's just another cool little mm-hmm. system. It's another nifty oh, yeah. touch. Like, uh, we, we talked about the, the... So the Roman Legion's are a great example, and you'll see this in the campaign a lot. The Roman Legion is probably the best all-around unit in the game, I think, safe to say. Yep. Uh, just the... It, yep. Like, it wins a fight with anything one-on-one, uh, pretty much. Um, but the trouble is, it's, it's hella expensive. But the real issue, the real threat with these things, is that the further you go into Gaul... The further you are from the ability to reinforce these things, uh, there's because every unit type has a native faction, it has to be able to trace a supply route back to a city with available uh, reinforcement population. And so if you have a big battle where a bunch of your legions are engaged and all your legions, say, come from the same like two or three cities, uh, you know, in, in the south of France, uh, old Roman colonies. Um, so they all take losses. Well, replacing those losses means that immediately you you just drink up the pool of available soldiers. And guess what? Your troops still aren't at 100%. They're not fully reinforced. And so what do you do? Do you just wait for that population to build back up and, you know, be able to resume the offensive? Or do you just go ahead with what you've got, but then you're going to be a little weaker and you're going to take worse and worse losses? But you can, and that sort of gives rise to this whole thing of employing native troops as, as auxiliaries, basically. That, you know, okay, well, my, my, my legionaries are, are a little too vulnerable to waste in the siege right now. Uh, so, that's, so that's why these Belgian spearmen are here. Uh, good luck, boys. And send them over the top. But you have to think about where are they coming from, too? Uh, what's the you know what's the state of the reinforcement pool back at their uh, at their home base? It's it's a really it's a really cool approach. It's just little things like that. Like where do your soldiers come from? Not many games 
pose that as a problem. Um, but th- this uh, d- makes it this makes it feel really palpable uh, that you know every every dead Roman legionary represents a huge investment in time and training and distance coming all the way from Rome. Uh, each one that you lose is kind of this precious resource. And, and God help you if a legion gets wiped out. Yes. Because that thing will take forever first to get rebuilt and reinforced, you know, to ride, get its population, get fully staffed. If it's a commander and the commander gets knocked out of battle, you got to wait for him too if, you know, yeah. you really miss, you know, Portius Seller or Titus Labianus or whomever uh, your commander is. And they're, you know, they could be sitting back way, way in Cisalpine Gaul and you got to wait for them to get built back up. And if you have... Like three in the oh, the campaign, the Caesar campaign, you start with three legions from uh, Emporia uh, in Cisalpine Gaul, and if two of them get knocked out at once, like I did in a really poor battle, you're stuck with like one legion and a bunch of crappy slingers and horsemen while you wait while Emporia gets exhausted and drained of men. Of course, you and can always swap be... the home city, which I find quite convenient. Yeah, but there's there aren't that many Roman cities to go around in the no, campaign. This is true. It's in, easier to in, do in the, in the sandbox. It's easier to do in the sandbox. Where, you know, you start with capturing a lot of your own cities. But in the campaign, you know, you have that run Roman. You have that. You have like two Roman cities. You have Geneva, and it can't hire legions. And you have Emporia, and you know, just waiting for those guys to come back. You know, swapping home cities is great and actually very very helpful. But even then. If you're all your troops or all your Romans are in Cisalpine Gaul, that's not going to help you when you're in Britain. Well, and I, I just, I, I, I and you're, you're right, Rob. That so few games actually get this essential part. I mean, I'm not saying that every game should do this, and because every game has its own goals, its own missions, its own plans. So I'm not saying that you know, the total war people should definitely only make you able to hire legions in Roman cities, because you know well, that would take away a lot. Of- <laughs> They've got a lot of things they need to address first. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, but because you know this is something that people because if you go to a lot of the the so-called realism mods, you know, for the first room, a lot of them did try to impose this sort of restriction on recruitment. They don't think it made the game necessarily better because it took away from other things. Every design choice is a balance and it has to fit with a larger vision of design. You know, it's you said about Rome too, you you can't patch in design and this would be like patching something in. But it fits because of the importance of you know logistics and supply lines, this is such a natural fit for the hegemony design philosophy and design document to have, you know, your troops also have their own supply lines and their own supply rules uh for reinforcement. It's just it's it's, it's natural, it's intuitive, it's period appropriate. Um, and it does bring, you know, the challenge of Caesar's conquest, you know, really to life. You, you will be relying on a lot of auxiliary troops, and you'll want your legions there as kind of like the firemen to fight, to fight the big wars. They're there to, you know, take on Hitler. They're not there to take on, you know, Hitler Jr., Little, little Hitler, baby Hitler. <laughs> I, t- I take it back. I take it back, Troy. You, you. It's a good thing they shut down all the magazines because you would have killed <laughs> them right terrible. there. 
However, uh, fired, so fired. <laughs> but you know, they're they're the serious are they're the serious opponents and the serious wars, yeah. and that's what your legions will end up being for. No, your your um, auxiliary your your auxiliaries are you know they're the highway patrol is how they end up getting used yeah. a lot of times. There it's you like, go. Yeah. Oh god, we got a raider coming through this crit- crit- critical artery. Uh, so you guys, like, I don't care how many of you get killed here, uh, just chase those guys off. Um. I, I did like, I, I sort of found that this game also, we, we were joking around before the show on Twitter, Troy, um, this game sort of gets you into that sort of monstrous Roman mindset where you start to do the math and you're like, you know, it's just way more cost effective to completely wipe these people out <laughs> rather than continue trying to contain them or buy them off. Like, they've just got to go. And I kind of liked how, I kind of liked how I kind of was a, little, I was a little disturbed as well. How often this game had me either rubbing my hands together at the thought of like, oh, the precious slaves I will get in, in a battle. There are achievements for slaves. Oh my god, I know, but you need <laughs> I them. I didn't know how to feel about that. I've got to be honest. It's but like you've just got a thousand slaves. What well on Fraser? Um, I don't feel good about that. But free people are expensive, <laughs> and they come from your soldier pool. But slaves. Yeah, I've got they're, no workers in my empire. They're all slaves. I feel terrible, but it's uh, it's effective. Yeah, and, <laughs> it's, and, and the other thing is just... It, well, they, they, they don't eat very much. They do not. Oh I mean, God. they probably like to, but I'm not going to let them. Well, and and then there's the other thing of, of just like, you know, the first or, the first or second time you, you sort of send a probing raid at one of my supply lines, I'll just chase you off. But, like, the first time you actually, like, seize a fort or, like, seize a city behind my back, like, I'm going to come and burn you to the ground. It just has to be done. It's, I mean, yeah, I mean, in our Twitter conversation, you quoted the Tacitus maxim, you know, they make a desert and call it peace. And, yeah, I just wanted to, you know, turn a large chunk of France into the Sahara uh, for a few problems. I mean, I, this is a game where you know, you can have something you think is your friend and they'll just say, "Oh, there's a that's a nice little that's a nice little cattle farm. I think I'll take it." And these aren't your enemies. It's just they need food. They've built an army, they can't feed it. There's a cattle farm that belongs to you, so they'll take it. And you do that enough times and it just becomes really really annoying and I, I mean, I'm with you, Fraser, and I don't like the idea of having, you know, this achievement of slaves, but if I could, you know, kill some cattle rustlers, I'd be perfectly fine to have an achievement with killing cattle rustlers. <laughs> I did feel, though, that, because um, what you're saying about, you know, raising uh, cities and just wiping enemies off the map, um, I think a lot of that is just an extension of the fact that there's not much diplomacy in the game. It's, um, I mean, fair dues, it's, it's, it's all about conquering and fighting, so I, it's not hugely missed. Um, but I, I do think that's where that, that, that comes from, rather than it's necessarily a, a design thing. It's just this lack of diplomacy, so you don't really have any other options other than maybe throwing some money at, at your neighbours. So you're always in this, uh, your, your default stance is to be aggressive. Um, and I think if they just removed diplomacy altogether... Um, it wouldn't have made a huge difference, at least the way that I was playing it. Uh, it might have been wanna, different for you guys, though. Do, do you want to explain the diplomacy for our listeners, Fraser? Well, yeah, it, it's basically you, you can you know have allies, you can throw money. It, it seems to be just, it, it's all about draining. It, it's more of a drain than anything else. Um, 
I mean, I, I kind of felt that it wasn't always in my best interests to to be friendly or at least not aggressive. I would either just leave people alone or they would be in my sights and I would be gobbling them up in their cities and everything like that. Uh, I was very much uh, a warlike 100% of the time. Yeah, it definitely it definitely takes uh, the it's it's just like it was in hegemony in a lot of ways in, in that uh, diplomatic relationships, positive diplomatic relationships, have a cost. Um, you you it, like alliance, peace. These are not these are not default states of being. Like the default is you're you're ignoring each other, and that very easily slips over in hostility. There's really nothing stopping anyone from going after each other. But if you're going to have a formal relationship that someone's not going to attack you and you're not going to attack them, uh, that requires some buy-in. You you need to be able to give money uh, and, and fund that relationship. And you could you could justify it any number of ways. I mean, most uh, ancient world diplomatic relationships were kind of undergirded by exchange of tribute uh, and and gifts and some sort of support. Uh, but but really, it, it, it's just it's just a, a neat way, I guess, of uh, representing diplomatic capital uh, without introducing an entirely different new resource. Uh, so there, there are a few cases where th- those relationships do seem valuable. And in, in particular, I think this is new. Uh, you can requisition allies' cities. Uh, and so what you can do, if you, if you are making war with someone in a part of the country that's really just inconvenient for some reason, um, but someone else that you're not fighting and you're actually friends with is nearby... Uh, it can be really helpful to basically rent one of their cities, uh, which is pretty expensive. Like you, it costs a lot to be able to do that. But at that point, the city's loyalty flips over to you, and you have complete control over it. Um, but you don't get any sort of conquest penalty. And at that point, um, it's it's yours as long as you keep paying the rent on it, basically. Uh, and that can be really convenient because then suddenly, like, okay, I have no, I, I have no logistical support up here. It's a really long run to get there, but so I'm just going to buy the city from my friends, and this is going to be the new hub for my conquest of this of this other tribe, which is really cool. Um, I, I did. I, I I'm kind of with you a little bit, Fraser. I did find that a lot of times I was kind of ignoring diplomacy, uh, just because I felt like I was. Just you know, I was better off investing in policing my empire rather than trying to uh, make you know win friends and influence people. It's a little different in the the campaign though. Now I didn't get past like chapter one even. I think I really it just wasn't my my bag. I immediately went into the sandbox and had a much better time. But the one thing I did find interesting was how they did actually manage to tie um, objectives and, and quests into a sort of extra part of diplomacy you're not actually using diplomacy or spending any money but you're fulfilling requests for uh for various potential allies uh, like i think very early on in the the campaign um one tribe is getting very worried about another and if you wipe them out they'll join you um and i, I thought that was quite nice that's and that felt like a more organic type of diplomacy. It was more or, or reactive, rather, uh, where you're fulfilling these objectives and then you've got some new friends. Troy, you have to commit yourself. You you have to you have to weigh in on the diplomacy here. You can't. Don't just sit there. Don't just sit there <laughs> I, like you I, don't have I, an opinion. I, you have an opinion. I wish there was more. I wish it was a little bit deeper than it was uh, than it is. I mean, the, the three the three states, you know, war, alliance, and truce. Um, I'm never quite clear on 
it was never entirely clear and still not how quickly things like hostility can rise or fall. Uh, the intimidation, what is the intimidation factor? Is that just how scary I am? Do I have to actually do things to intimidate? That's never quite explained. You all can the way see through, it ticking away, can't you? Like on the map, you'll see like plus one hostility. I, I, I honestly didn't really uh, delve into what that meant or how I was doing yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't I'm never quite clear what the factors are. Um, it's also not clear to get back to, you know, the AI. Is the AI taking its own diplomatic actions with each other? Are the AIs making allies with each other? Or are they just all hate me at the same time? Uh, which is entirely possible because I'm pretty hateable. Uh, so I'd like to have a little more transparency here and there. Um, it's I think a lot of it is it's a bit of a black box, and it's okay because it is generally so simple that it is just these three things. And the, the, the requisition thing, which you mentioned, Rob, is really kind. Is really it's it's so expensive. It is so so expensive to do, but it is such a time saver, an army saver, if you have that cash at the right time to even just. I just want to buy a farm. You can just buy a farm and build a fort and send that farm to your fort. And okay, great. Now I can feed my guys for another season. Um, and there you go. And that's these. That's, that's a nice addition uh, that does capture, I think, a lot of the ad hoc nature of, you know, Roman uh, campaigning. Um, at, 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 yeah, the, the diplomacy is okay, but it does, I think, we need a little bit more transparency. And I think a lot of the problem with it is kind of hampered by the lack of field of vision, and you really can't see much of the map until you've actually been there, which, of course, you know, makes sense. But then if something even changes in the map, it's not always clear what's changing for who and why, uh, unless you have, you know, eyes and ears there. So there aren't much in the way of reports. There's not a lot of information about what the AI is doing, as if, you know, there aren't any messengers, there aren't any couriers. It's just, well, I mean typical that this is Caesar. The only thing that's important is what's happening around Caesar and Caesar's army. Uh, there's nothing else that happens is of any consequence at all until it affects what you are doing. Uh, and I think that if it's a little bit deeper, we might be able to have a little bit more of that, a little bit more of an idea that this is a diplomatic field of action. And, you know, and as Fraser said, it would actually maybe give us more tools than you know, burn everything down uh, as much as burning everything down and taking slaves is, you know, what Fraser lives for. <laughs> I'm not the one without achievement. Yeah, I think there's mul- there are multiple achievements. I don't have any slaves. I don't have any slave or slave achievement. Um, yeah. it, it's mainly from, I think it's, I got them from the sandbox because it's, um, I think it's, yeah, it's capture a thousand slaves. Is what I've that's got. A, that's a lot of slaves, dude. That's a lot of slaves. <laughs> yeah. Like we well, haven't was... we haven't played this game that long, man. Like, what's the saying about you? I think I think we learned something about Fraser today. But it's like every you every won't... time you get in a, in a or at least every time I got in a battle in the sandbox, there'd just be these little dudes just left over, and yeah, they'd start running away, and I'd immediately give chase. Like, even to the point where I was doing forced marches to get like three slaves. <laughs> um, oh, but it's because when you conquer or sorry when you you capture a mine or a farm or whatever you kill half the workers there um 
So it's like I kind of just I wanted all of my all of my mines to neatly have twenty in each. So I was just putting all of my captured slaves in there, and it it made me just feel feel good about myself until I realized what I was actually doing and felt properly horrible. <laughs> but you know, hey, the ancient world is not a pretty place. It uh, was a harsh, harsh place. <laughs> you don't want them wandering the Alps unemployed. No, exactly. And the, the, you know, they're the running the whole time. It must be exhausting. So. Here's the thing, though, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this, though. When I first started playing this game, I was not digging it at all. Like I like, and I liked I, I liked the Gemini. I knew it was what I was letting myself in yeah. for. And my first reaction was just like really, really unfavorable for some reason. I think part of it was the campaign. Uh, the 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 campaign does have certain issues. It does sort of. Actually, no, I'm going to disagree with you, Troy. I don't think the campaign explains things all that well. Because if you just go by what it explicitly tells you to do in the first mission, that first mission is going to drag on and on and on. And actually, I was way better served by just sort of being like, okay, uh, I am rebasing. Like, the the campaign doesn't tell you to rebase all your legions from uh, Geneva. But you have to, or else you're never going to get more legionaries out there. Um, right. So, like, it, stuff like that is crucial. Being able to, like, just upgrading your cities on your own initiative is important. The campaign doesn't really explain that. But I think the bigger issue is that because the campaign to to, to be a little more to, to be a little more manageable in the campaign, it, it draws these artificial boundaries around the map where your troops can't go, but things can cross over those those boundaries into your territory. And I think this game, even under, under the best of circumstances, has a there's a risk of this gaming of this game playing too much like a game of whack-a-mole. And I think that gets really amplified by the structure of the campaign in ways that are not in ways that are not terribly rewarding. I think the sandbox solves that a little bit by you can always just cross, you know, just go and kill the bastards. Uh, but in the campaign, there's definitely a lot of places where you're just going to have to sit there and just police this one river crossing because every 20 minutes, some jerk is going to cross and try to burn a farm. It's funny that you say whack-a-mole because that's kind of how I feel about sieges. Because when when you're oh, besieging God. a city yes. and you've they've got like three units and you defeat them, they're, you know they they rout and they bugger off, and then all of a sudden like thirty seconds later they're at you know they they come out again and there's maybe only like five of them, but that breaks your siege for a little while, and it, it doesn't make any sense if there was that tiny number they're not going to be coming out of the city walls are they, um, and you just keep doing that until you've actually taken over the city and it just makes. Siege is a bit frustrating, really. Um, I didn't really... I, I like the build-up to a siege where you're, you know, positioning your troops, getting everyone ready. And, and like Troy mentioned earlier on, where you're, you know, destroying their own supply lines. Um, but then when it actually comes to surrounding the city and just standing there, it is just fighting the same guys over and over again as they run back and forth between the city and where you are. Um, it would be nice if you could come compel the surrender of a city yeah. instead of having to just sit there all the time. You know, I have my men. You've got nothing left. I'm going to take the city. You know, I'll give them an ultimatum or something. Um, threaten to raise it, I suppose. Um, some way to compel surrender instead of always, you know, standing there with your three or four units surrounding it, um, making sure they all starve to death. You know, like you say, beating off the stragglers, these starving stragglers of a once mighty army. 
Yeah, I, I the the sieges, little things like the, your soldiers don't seem to properly engage when they're busy with a siege either. Like uh, they can and they can't. It's weird. It's sometimes the enemy will come out and start attacking, and then they'll attack in in turn. But other and times then sometimes they'll they just, just stand get... there with their shields and keep besieging the city. Right, and but just get slowly get whittled down yeah. until their morale breaks. Um, it's I'm not sure if that's uh, like a slightly buggy or just like it's it, just a straight up design flaw, but that happens a lot. No, I, I think it is a little. It is. I think it is a little buggy. There's a few th- There's a few places in this game where things just don't quite seem to work as smoothly as they should. I like, for instance, moving troops around forts. Uh, like I have had soldiers get stuck on forts so many times, and I just have to sort of like fiddle with the formation controls a little bit. Until somehow mm-hmm. I free them from whatever they're they're stuck on, and then they're and then they're broken free. Uh, but it's it's doing stuff like that is, is kind of a hassle. Um, and so like little things like that bugged me. Um, it, it doesn't help that the that the first objective of the campaign is to build a bridge, right? And the only bridge that's introduced to you is not the one they mean. Uh, so. <laughs> So, for like the first mission, I spent like ten minutes trying to build this freaking bridge over this one river. Uh, the same bridge I tore, I'd torn down at the start of the mission when there were a bunch of uh, angry, angry Frenchmen crossing it. Uh, so I was trying to rebuild this bridge, and it's like, nope, sorry, that's a camp. And I'm like, well, it's, first of all, it's evidently a bridge. Second of all, <laughs> let me build it, damn it. But no, it, it meant something completely different. But. Once once I got past all that, and and once I I, I you know figured out uh, you know just sort of to, to take my own initiative on the campaign a little bit, that I'd be better served by doing that. Uh, I found I was having a much better time. It sort of got me into the richness of the uh, logistic structure. Uh, I, I think the campaign, on the one hand, it does make it manageable because this game is so big. Uh, it breaks it down into a series of manageable tasks. Uh, on, on the other hand, though, I, I, I do kind of feel like it doesn't always explain the things that need explaining, and its artificial boundaries around the, uh, the, the, the campaigning space it can sometimes feel more annoying than helpful. Although much of the, even in the, the sandbox, the way the, um, the terrain has been designed uh, creates a lot of limitations sometimes which i'm quite happy with and sometimes which get a a little bit too much i mean you can't cross like swamps or mountains you can't go into forests i mean basically you've just got to walk down roads um and i i I kind of felt like there there could have been a lot more tactical richness if i'd been able to have a greater freedom of movement right from the get-go and set up like sneaky ambushes and, and stuff like that um, uh, surprisingly, I think that, that in, in some ways, Rome 2 does that a little bit better. Uh, it's one of the few things. Um, and I, I, it kind of felt like it was funneling you in certain directions. But um, it's definitely more apparent in, in the campaign, because in the sandbox you still have these large open areas as well, where you can actually get the sort of titanic battles that um, are a lot more compelling. Yeah, I think. Yeah, the, the open areas. You definitely need sort of the the to, to borrow a phrase from the Greeks. You definitely need the uh, the dance floor of areas, as it were, <laughs> uh, to to really make this game. Uh, 
sort of as good a tactical game as it can be, uh, because things get very squirrely in in narrow passes. Uh, though it does, I, I do I do also like how you sort of rub your hands together when you find a sort of natural defensible border for your empire, and you're like, oh man, I can just plug this gap with a single legion, and I'm gonna be set. So, did anyone play the? Uh, did anyone get to the siege of what's the Belgian city uh, at uh, Atuka? That's in no. the, the campaign. I think I just yeah. got past like Babracti after I sort of just got a bit bored and went oh to the God. sandbox. <laughs> so it's very early on. Yeah, it's it's this nightmarish uh, it's this nightmarish siege uh, of the city on a on a bluff that only that only one city, only one unit can siege it at a time. Uh, there's only space for one unit. So I just had to keep um, rotating guys into the siege line and then rotating them back out. Um, and it took me, um, I think it was like 30 minutes of just sieging the city and rotating units in and out to get like fed. So is it one also one of those big like, or like fortresses, so it's like 1,500 uh, uh, troops or whatever that you've got to whittle down or 1,500? I don't know what that um, number uh, so, is meant so to the, represent. There's like or... the strength of the walls, basically. That's what it is, it's the wall yeah. strength, yeah. Yeah, uh, so this was an 800 city, but if you can only get one unit into place at a time yeah. and they're getting shot at so. the entire time, uh, it takes a damned long time. And you have no room for for siege weapons. No, no, which which is funny because I actually looked up the original siege and the Romans won it with a siege tower, um, <laughs> but you actually can't use a siege tower against the city uh, in, in the game. But little things like that, where the, the game has a manageable plotting pace, but there's a few places where I think that can that can kind of work against it. Um, but that that said. Once again, I find myself like this is this is a really good strategy game about ancient warfare, uh, and a game that is uniquely about ancient warfare uh, in a way that like you know Total War is sort of slapping a skin on it, and that's that's the way a lot of games sort of are are with um, with historical strategy where they don't necessarily uh, bring out the flavor of one particular type of conflict, and and here I just you know. If if you're a bit of a nerd about this stuff, if if you if you find if you find like Roman history and and you know Roman military history interesting, you know this is a game that's uniquely able to to scratch that itch and brings bring some of it to life. Yeah, and this is a game that will. I mean, I'm not sure anyone will play more than a couple of sandbox games in their life because they will take days and days and days to finish, uh, at least to their conclusion. But it really does. It, it, I, I compare it, I think, to, to, to Unity of Command, because Unity of Command can re- is really only about the Eastern Front. It doesn't have anything to tell you about really anything else about World War II. It's about the Eastern Front and tank movements and supply lines. It's a system that I don't think would work really, really well outside of Germany versus the Soviet Union, 1941 to 1945. It's a great game. Brilliant game, well designed, perfect. Likewise, I don't think that the hegemony system—you you can't just stick Napoleon on here. And so now it's a game about Napoleon because it just would not work. They'd have to do a whole lot of rethinking. But this is building on the hegemony uh, gold and hegemony Philip experience in significant Roman ways. Uh, so I have no doubt they could take this and make it make an Alexander game out of it, or. And do it quite well. Even maybe even make a Chinese 
ancient make a Han game out of it if they are a, a war a, a three kingdoms game out of it. You could make a three kingdoms game out of this engine, I think, out of this system actually quite well. I'm not sure that uh, Lava has much interest in, you know, Han and post Han history, but I mean this is really a game about uh, warfare from that 500 years, that 600 year span, 300 BC to like 300 AD, this would work really, really well. And they've done such a great job of making Caesar's job look hard. And I, I think, I mean, that we've had two good Gaul games this year because the first expansion to Rome 2, Total War, I think we all thought was a pretty good expansion. Um, and it's great to see this, a, a new interpretation of, you know, one of the classic um, campaigns. Yeah, though I gotta say, as, as I've played as I played more of the of the Gaul expansion for Total War, the the Total Warishness of it started to the the, the Rome Two ishness of it uh, started to get to me a little bit. It's way too sloggy. Uh, I, yeah, I think. it's 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 still very slow. I think when whenever you sort of, I think all their games, all their modern era games, have sort of had this problem since probably uh, Rome, the original Rome. Actually, is that the moment you started making every faction have the same starting position, basically, you know, one city, a uh, small number of troops, and there's just rarely enough wealth to go around to fund a large army. Uh, you're basically yes, you are forcing the player to play lots of battles, and theoretically, that's that's what people are signing up for. But it definitely makes for a lot of just um, you know slow grinding conquests. Um, whereas, you know, this game it's it's it's, it's methodical um, and it is slow paced, but you, you still feel like you're making progress. Uh, so that's that, that's very nice. I gotta say, I'm a, I'm a little worried. That I heard so little about this game when it came out, though it's it's been out for a couple months at this point, right? It has. And we were a disclaimer. I uh, when I was with Evolve, uh, we did PR with Longbow for a few months. Uh, then the game was just going to be too delayed, and they decided to not work with us, which was good for the, us and good for them because they ended up uh, being signed by, by, by Calypso or one of Calypso's arms. Um, but yeah, this game kind of landed kind of silently, and I'm kind of disappointed because uh, there's the first uh, Hegemony game was well-received, but also, again, kind of a stealth release. Um, and I'm not sure who's doing their PR work or their marketing, uh, who's responsible for it, because this is a game that I think should have gotten more attention than it did. But then again, this is also the kind of game that, you know, I can imagine, you know, here I am, if I was doing PR for it and I was sending out, you know, review requests to people, they'd say, well, we don't have anybody qualified to play this. Yeah, but I'm just a little concerned because, like, you and I basically remembered out of the blue one day, like, wait, is that out yet? And that's how it got yeah. on the show agenda. Uh, and yeah. when, like, when you and I, like, I mean, Fraser, had you heard of this game before uh, Before we sent you a copy, before we came and poked you? Yeah, I'd, I'd heard of it, um, but until you guys sent me the copy, I, I, I hadn't been sent any like PR about it. I knew about it purely because I often just browse games on Steam to see what looks interesting. But if I'd been sent PR and saw the words Caesar um, <laughs> and like conquest, 
um, I would have been in there straight away, but uh, I didn't get that opportunity. Yeah, I'm just I, I I'm not I'm not saying these guys have done a bad job or anything like that. I'm just concerned right. that like we we are I think we are the target demo, and mm. it's like you know come on don't hide your I light just, under a bushel. Uh, like yeah, I want them to make another one. I want this to do well enough for them to make another well, one. Well, come on, we gotta see Caesar like put the hurt on Pompey. We gotta do it. It would be very nice to have some Civil War stuff uh, going on. That would be very cool. And talk about a game that yeah. should be absurdly huge. But it, it could be really cool. I'd be really curious to see how it all works. Um, they, they did some. They did some cool. Uh, they, they did some cool war stuff with uh, the Peloponnesian War in the uh, Gold Edition of the original Hegemony. Uh, yep. Really, sort of got the sprawling nature of that conflict and the the sort of mastery of the ocean and the land uh, that was critical to it. Uh, so yeah, I'm just you know I'm, I'm I'm kind of worried that like this game isn't going to find uh, you know the audience it deserves because I think it had such a quiet release and I think there are a lot of people uh, like us and hopefully listening to this podcast who you know you say hey there's a really good like authentic feeling uh, you know ancient uh, Roman strategy game. Uh, I would hope they'd be excited. Uh, I, I certainly, you know, by the end of it, once I got past my my initial frustrations with the campaign, uh, I was I was right back. I was, I was right back with where I was with the original hegemony, uh, just having an absolute blast, sort of tweaking my supply lines and ripping down city walls and saving myself money, and uh, you know, basically putting the jackboot of imperialism on the throat of uh, the Germanic and Gallic barbarian. I mean, it's not not a perfect game by any means, but it is. It's the kind of game they're they don't make like like this anymore for probably a very good reason. They just don't sell enough of them. It's it is so deep and so rich, um, and I think it's affordably priced <laughs> for our listeners who are interested in that sort of thing. Uh, I'm surprised how people buy Steam list actually own it. Uh, so it's. Uh, I hope that we do get another one, and whether it's whether it's you know Civil War or you know Sertorius or the the, the Punic Wars. I mean, they already, they already have this map, so I think you know a Civil War or something would probably work better. Punic Wars would be very interesting. Do you think they? I mean, um, have they done naval combat, um, like proper naval combat in the previous? Hegemonies. Well, you could argue the Romans never did proper naval combat. <laughs> that's true. That that's true. But if I mean, if you're doing Punic Wars, you, you've got to have a, a naval component. That's well, only only if you're doing the first Punic. Yeah, the not second the second Punic War, because by go. then the Carthaginians didn't really have a very strong navy at all. But um, but the first one, yeah. Even if it was simply like troop transport stuff, I guess. Yeah, um, but just having that, that there. Yeah, they've they've done the troops. I mean, you can't do the Peloponnesian War without, you know, Athenians being evil. <laughs> Trey, are you just on the wrong side of every classical conflict? Like, because <laughs> like it's always the, like Pompey yeah. and Sparta with you, and like <laughs> everyone else just awkwardly looking at each other. Like, he knows they're the assholes, right? And like, you just don't because because you're just wildly <laughs> after lunch. Million dialogue. Read it, dude. <laughs> But yeah, I'm I'm on the wrong the wrong side of everything. Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely I, I but I I agree. I would I would love to see uh, where the series would go. I think you know, this is another one of those one of those games where you, you see it sort of like Ultimate General. 
you, you you see it and you're like, oh, that could do so many other interesting things, uh, you know, in a similar vein uh, and cover some under underrepresented topics. And I would love to see where it goes. Not the Punic Wars, though. I like I can't I can't conquer Carthage uh, again as long as I live. Like I've <laughs> been there, done that. Like it's over. I'd rather run a Roman Civil War or go lose legions in Germany. Um but yeah, maybe not, or or, or maybe some uh, sweet Justinian action uh, where you win the game and then a plague strikes and it's over. Mithridates. There we go. The boys of Mithridates. Uh, yeah, I'm the only one who would ever play that. But no, I'd, I'd play some. I'd play some Eastern stuff. There we go. Uh, Dear friends at Longbow. <laughs> yeah, although although we, we've still at this point, I think everyone's been waiting for a good. Um, you know, Three Kingdoms a strategy game since uh, Shogun Total War, really. Um, mm, yeah. And yet nobody will go do it because, uh, well, I mean, if, you know, if we're being honest, like, you know, the, the strategy market is very Western centered uh, in, in a lot of ways. Uh, but I think it'd be, it'd be a cool topic. But yeah, I, I think, you know, there's obviously some reservations that come with this game. Uh, it, it's uh, it's patently yeah. not for everyone. Like, we just we just spent an hour, yeah. uh, you know, getting ourselves worked into a, a frenzy over <laughs> logistics and supply chains. <laughs> and, you know, oh man, how are you going to reinforce those lesions? I don't know. Uh, that's, you know, but, but if that's the sort of thing that gets your toe a-tapping, uh, you know, boy, do we have the game for you. <laughs> if, if you are a nerd... This is a game for nerds. <laughs> Very much so, uh, but it, but it doesn't play like one. I think that that is one thing no, that uh, no. should be emphasized. There's there's complicated ideas in it, but they're all very easy to play around with, uh, which is there which is unusual. There aren't there aren't there aren't any Victoria type spreadsheets here. Everything is really clear and obvious, except for the diplomacy. Yeah, it's not really menu based at all. It is like when you're doing a supply line, you click on the city or the camp, and then you click on the next link in the chain, and then you hover over it, and you see how much lost you're, you're, you've got, and it's just it's all there directly, and within a few seconds, you know exactly what's going on, um, which is really surprising. Yeah, there's there's a lovely economy of design. Uh, in this game that that I that I really enjoy. So hopefully we'll get more of it, uh, but it's definitely worth checking out if you're remotely interested in the topic uh, or if you enjoy the previous hegemony. Uh, but yeah, I think this is this is a this is a worthy little follow-up. Uh, and I, I definitely hope to see more from this series going forward. Uh, so I think we'll leave it there. Uh, so this that that will cover hegemony Rome, the rise of Caesar. I got it right that time because I have Hooray. it open. I have it open in Steam, uh, so <laughs> I have to I have to verify uh, what the name of this game is because there are far too many rise games, uh, too many games with Rome in the title and Caesar for that matter. So we will be next, back next week with uh, something uh, World War One themed, I, I am sure, uh, as we sort of head into the Guns of August uh, centennial. Uh, so until then, though, uh, Troy and Fraser, thanks so much for hanging out with me this afternoon. Thank you. And uh, as always, our thanks to Michael Hermes for putting this episode together. And uh, until next week, this has been Three Moves Ahead. Good night. Bye, all. Bye. <laughs>